Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey everybody, I'm David Flora. And I'm Dave Stecco. And we're the hosts of the Blurry Photos podcast. That's right. We explain the unexplored. And explore the unexplained. You see what we did there? We like to talk about the weirdest things that we can find. Government conspiracies, weird archaeology sites. How about a half goat, half man that attacks cars with an axe in Maryland? That's a real thing. Real with an asterisk, but still fun to talk about. Yeah, and if none of that lifts your skirt, then uh, we've got plenty of room for good old-fashioned fart jokes, too. There's no shortage of fart jokes. Check us out on iTunes and at BlurryPhotos.org. Blurry Photos. We promise not to blame everything on aliens. Greetings, comrades. The year 1989 was filled with a feeling of hope in the USSR, but at the same time with a certain degree of passivity. Like the journalist Ginta Waltenberg writes in the newspaper The Soviet Youth in the 7th of November edition of that year, quote, history will put everything in its place. That meant that although we had hope, we didn't have to rush anywhere that it would most likely take 5 to 10 more years to gain true independence. But the building blocks were in place. The picture of the newspaper is added to this post on our website, theeasternborder.lv, by the way. Also in the newspaper, a caricature about the 72nd anniversary of the October Revolution, with the USSR flag depicted within an end-of-road traffic sign. Because we wanted it to be the end of the road of the Soviet Union at the time, and not because we really believed that it could happen as fast as it did. The so-called singing revolution wasn't a violent one. It wasn't a very optimistic one either. Unlike a lot of Americans and Westerners in general, Latvia isn't an optimistic country. We always presume that everything will go wrong and act from that impression. Murphy's laws are very popular here. It happened this time as well, seeing how literally everyone thought that, you know, we are on the right side of things, let everything smooth it out, and those who thought otherwise were thought of as dangerous radicals. We like the first taste of that Freedom Burger, 
but at the time we weren't ready for the whole Big Mac just yet. And in the end, when our independence finally arrived, it was as unexpected for us as it must have been in the Western countries. But let's not get ahead of ourselves and look at things in order, shall we? Firstly, in the January of 1989, my dad finally found out that my mom was pregnant with me, which worried him to no end. That was the time when everything was the worst here with food and everyday supplies. USSR was almost done for economically. Firstly, the old buyer's card was reinstituted so that people could only buy things locally. The official explanation was that this would ensure more equal distribution of goods among the various Soviet republics, but it literally was meant to stop people from taking trains to Moscow to buy all of their delicious sausage. They didn't help at all, because various first necessity foodstuffs and other things were just absent from the stores anyway. First and foremost, sugar. You just couldn't get any here, even though Latvian SSR was the home of whole three large sugar factories at the time. The problem was, due to Gorbachev's prohibition laws, making moonshine had become extremely profitable and everyone and their grandmother were making their own booze. And you needed a lot of sugar for that, so when it appeared in the stores, due to black market connections, just a few phone calls later it was completely sold out because people who made their moonshine had managed to get their connections right and bought it in humongous 50 kilogram bags. And even if you didn't have any connections, you still bought sugar in the same extra large quantities for your moonshine by just waiting next to the store from a very very early morning. And the sugar wasn't just purchased by the locals here, no. Since we had our own factories here, the sugar crisis hit us last. But it was intensified in 1989 because the moonshine-making people from various other Soviet republics, where sugar had been a luxury for the common people for, for a while already, as early as 1985, had figured out that indeed it was profitable for them to just go to Latvian SSR and purchase sugar here. Thus, the demand had massively exceeded the supply, but because of the general slacking off at work, inefficiencies within the Soviet economy and the massive bureaucracy, They just couldn't influence the production in any meaningful way. So a way of controlling things was established, in the form of these cards, but it didn't really work out. Because of that, old wartime coupons on various things were reinstituted. These coupons were a government-issued piece of paper which gave you the right to go to the store and purchase sugar in predetermined quantities. You still had to pay for the sugar, but you couldn't buy it without this coupon. The coupons were issued so that you could buy a kilo of sugar per month per every person living in the household. At the beginning, it was just sugar. But soon enough, the system grew. And coupons were instituted for flour, soap, cigarettes, and everyday chemistry things like the dishwashing liquid or tampons or what have you. Same went for the legally obtainable alcohol. Because remember, the consumption of alcohol was just extremely restricted instead of being completely prohibited. They just included purchasing it in this system. Now, the fun part was that the coupons ignored the age of the people living in a household. You also got your monthly alcohol and cigarette coupons for every child you had. Which meant that if you had, say, three kids, you could smoke a lot more than a person that didn't have any. Black market quickly got a hold of this, and active coupon trade was quickly adopted. 
So if you were a non-smoker for one, you'd trade your cigarette coupons for other coupons of the things that you needed more, or just sold them off. Counterfeiting of the coupons was also done en masse, as the coupons themselves were just scraps of paper with printed words on them, without any form of security measures, so it was extremely easy to just counterfeit them. Which obviously happened a lot. But the weird thing was that during this time of increased liberty desire and nationalism, that was kind of... this was just kind of... ignored. There were more important things to think about rather than worrying about how much sugar you'd add to your tea. Now, all of this was also represented in the political jokes of the time, such as... Lenin's era. Call to Cheka for reporting. My neighbor is eating caviar. Then the Cheka responds, Thank you for this, we're on our way. Now, Stalin's era. My neighbor is eating caviar. And the Cheka responds, "Uh, So what? Oh, but but he's eating caviar in in spoonfuls. Oh, oh, thank you, we're on our way. Brezhnev's era. My neighbor is eating caviar. Uh, so what? But he's eating it in spoonfuls with, with, with spoons. And? But he's eating it with, with golden spoons. Oh, oh yeah, th- thank you, we're on our way. Gorby's era. Hey, Cheka, my neighbor is eating. Uh, thank you, we're on our way. Just, just so you know. <laughs> I think I should stop explaining these jokes anyway. Now, at the same time... With all of this lack of everything, some people were fed up to no end. As I mentioned in the Gorby episodes, this was also the time when the first cooperative businesses officially were legalized. Businesses where people could cooperate and form small companies for mutual gain. Those were established. Now, I won't go into much detail here, as I have talked about this previously, but the people with the most connections saw this huge lack of things and decided that enough is enough. So, with all of this moonshine, coupons, and now legal opportunities of making things, mostly, cooperatives were established for clothing production or growing flowers and such. So, the first Latvian companies got started. Now, it's extremely important to note a few things here. Like I've already said in my interview, which I gave for Professor CJ's Dangerous History podcast, this wasn't always just a good thing. Because of this screw-the-government attitude that was ingrained in the society, a lot of our politicians, who at first just came from the more successful Soviet businessman class, reformed higher council members and people who ran the black market for everything, they were just obscenely corrupt. The attitude really never went away, and people didn't understand that business in a capitalist society couldn't just be based on mutual theft and backroom deals. Sadly, that is a problem in Latvia to this day. Albeit now it has been somewhat mitigated by the European Union, which we're a member of. To some degree, that is. But this whole, hey, let's just steal from the government, everyone does that, so it must be okay attitude, yeah, that's still a problem. People got their freedom so fast, they didn't have any time to adapt it culturally. So just kind of stayed there. Now, as I mentioned in the episode about 1988, you heard about the beginning of the Latvian National Front. 1989 marks the beginning of the opposition, as not everyone wanted the collapse of the Soviet Union. In early 1989, the so-called Interfront movement was established as an organized means of the Moscow establishment and their local supporters to be the counterweight to the national movement here. 
The main organizers were the unrepentant Stalinists from the old guard of the Communist Party, with some support from the army and the KGB structures. One of the frontrunners at the time was also the mayor of Riga, Alfred Srubiks. Other important member of this organization was Tatiana Zdanoka. She's important as she has continued her political career after this and is now an MP in the Europarliament structures from the Latvian Socialist Party, elected by the pro-Russian population here. That's right, folks. The Putin supporters who hate the European Union and United States over here are the left-wing people, who run their platform on the cries that we're abusing our Russian-speaking minority over here. Which really isn't true, and we're talking about people who've lived here for more than 25 years and still don't speak Latvian at all and don't care about it, but I'll talk about this in a future episode when this becomes more relevant. So those people are quite much abusing the minority rights issue, they're making it up, for pro-Putinist gains. Also, the reason why we look at the left-leaning party... Also, they're the reason why we look at left-leaning parties all over the world with extreme suspicion, and why our most eco-friendly welfare-instituting parties call themselves right or center-right, but in reality except the national pro-EU, pro-West aspect, they have very little in common with the right parties you have in there, in the Western world. But about the Interfront, 90% of its members were the Russian-speaking workers from the large factories. Those people who were just brought there as part of the Soviet Union's attempt to Russify all of this area. And not that most of them even knew what was going on, as they didn't speak any Latvian. For the most part, the directors of the factories just announced to the workers that they'd have to join the Interfront because he said so, and if they didn't, there would be no premiums, so they just did. The people of the Interfront were told that all this independence idea is just fascism being reborn, that Latvians and Estonians and Lithuanians would just go out and shoot the Russians, take their property, and institute the dreaded capitalism afterwards. As at that time, and for some older people even now, fascism and capitalism are the same things which are to be dreaded. Which obviously made the United States of America the most dangerous fascist country of them all. Which is kind of funny. But now, truth to be told, a lot of Russian speakers supported the independence movement at the time, as we'll see in the future, and our government just actually kind of screwed them over in 1991 by not giving a lot of them citizenship. But yeah, this this crime, this actual crime of my government against some people, that's also for a later episode, and I won't leave that one out. 1989 was also the year where the last Soviet elections happened, with a new Latvian SSR higher council being elected. These were semi-free elections with basically two parties running, the ages-old Communist Party, and the Latvian National Front. National Front won by winning about 65% of the vote. Now, before that, the old Communist Party had won every previous election with 99.9% of votes. This is interesting, as it was also the only party running, but the 0.01% is explained by the fact that you didn't vote for parties in these elections, but rather for individual people. Kind of like the United States today, as I understand it. By ticking off those which you liked on a list of candidates, and previously only the candidates from the Communist Party were allowed to run. And now, the Latvian National Front blew them out of the water. We also moved to a party list-based, rather than individual-based, election system soon after, by the way. And then, well, the Baltic Way happened. 
That was a large mass protest action, organized by the national fronts of all three Baltic countries. In the 23rd of August 1989, people formed a living chain of people, holding hands and standing on the Via Baltica road, uniting all three capitals of the country, stretching from Vilnius through Riga to Tallinn. There will be, picture of the pic- <clears throat> there will be pictures of this on the site as well. Now, the date is important, as this was the exact 50th anniversary of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. The non-aggression treaty between Stalin and Hitler, in the secret part of which the occupational zones and the areas of influence were determined between those two dictators, putting half of Poland and all three of the Baltic states in the Soviet sphere of interest, marking our doom. As the organizers of the event said at the time, This day marks the 50th anniversary since we've been sold in slavery. My dad was also there. He and his friends knew that Riga would be full with people standing there, so they took a train to Sigold, which is about 60 kilometers away from our capital, and took their places there. Everyone was there. There were whole families with small children and everything. People were excited and worried. Strangely, there were no militianeri around. Only the National Front activists... Then again, there was no point of them being there by this point. People were excited, they sung folk songs and the forbidden songs, such as anthems of the old independent Baltic states, and various songs associated with the legionnaires and the anti-Soviet guerrillas of old. Everyone was there. People were brought there from hospitals on wheelchairs. Old people who remembered how it was like before the USSR, who could barely stand when there. It was important to be there, to go, to show that you care. And it didn't matter that you were too old or too young. People just wanted to be a part of this process. It was a matter of pride and honor. A few days later, on the 26th of August, the official newspaper of the old Union Communist Party, Izvestia, or news, somewhat news-like, published the party's Central Committee's official statement called The Decision About the Situation in the Baltic Republics. There, in this decision, this peaceful, emotional mass gathering was called aggressive rioting of nationalists with the goal of destroying everything that's sacred to every citizen of the Soviet Union. As everyone at the time bought every newspaper that existed, as they were extremely cheap and people were interested in them, this soon became a major hit amongst the people. In the form of mass ridicule, Lothar, and another reason for parting for my dad and his college friend. Now, this decision, this published decision, had unexpected consequences for the communists themselves. You see, there were many nationalists in the party. And remember that the Central Communist Party wasn't omnipresent, as there was the Lithuanian cell, the Latvian cell, the Estonian cell, and so on. And there were lots of members there. People who wanted independence and were nationalist-minded, but who had joined the party for private reasons. And who were wary that this independence project might go astray, and then what? Those people who believed in Gorbachev's ideas and ideals about the socialism of the human face, and so on. The people who wanted to work within the party to maybe institute some reforms. Well, after this statement, they just... left. This publication proved that the Central Communist Party hadn't changed, that the reforms were in name only, that the bureaucracy and the machinery of lies was still very active, and they just didn't want to be any part of the system anymore. It showed them that working within the system was nigh impossible. 
so the mass exodus began. At first, only a few people left, as it was still very dangerous to do so, but soon, as people saw that really nothing bad happened to those who left, the ranks of the party members were massively thinned as people left in droves. All that was achieved by the decision from the Central Committee was that the communists lost the support of those people who, although liked the nationalistic patriotic ideas, had supported them before. But this... this was just too much. And you know what? that about concludes the important things in the Baltics in 1989. But only when it comes to politics. We are a people's show after all. You see, in this year... The Moscow government officially legalized the famous and widespread video halls. And they were extremely widespread by this time. And as the Soviets had managed to build their own VHS devices by now, it was decided that trying to fight against them was just pointless. And even though the Soviet-made devices were heavy, weighing in at about 10 kilograms, ridiculously expensive for the time, and about half of them were recalled as defective, people still bought them and watched every US-made movie possible, starting with quality stuff and ending up with even Z-rated action movies and porn. Of course, the legal video rentals carried only movies approved by the State Art Council, so everyone just watched the illegal movies, but couldn't be put in prison for that anymore. They all were dubbed in Russian by the same person, a man with a distinct rough and scratchy voice, and done in such a way that you could hear the original soundtrack in the background while watching the movie. Disney stuff for kids was also extremely popular, going so far as the most advanced illegal video halls had two rooms in them. You put your kids in the first one, showing them the Snow White or something like that, while the parents joined the rest of the adults to go watch Rambo or Rocky or other movies. A side note, If you're a supporter on this show on Patreon, then you can receive my commentary tracks for the Cold War movies there. We have two currently, Rocky IV and Red Dawn, and we'll add more of those in the future. Uh, Same goes if you've donated to us on PayPal, just send us an email saying that you want the track and we'll send it to you. Another super popular thing at the time was aerobics. And even though it was an American invention and the party organizers obviously knew that nothing good could ever come from the United States, it was tolerated and became popular as it was advertised by the actress Jane Fonda, which was popular in the USSR and was a known peace activist. So, prohibiting that would damage the prestige of the party, however low it was. And like with everything that came from the West, it became a mass phenomenon, with competitions and instruction manuals and everything. Another widespread hit were soap operas. Yes, they started to show soap operas on the national television at the time. Now, I only know about their titles from the Latvian TV programs, and seeing how translations are made here, the names might be inaccurate, but the most popular ones at the time were <clears throat> Slave Girl Isaura, Simply Maria, and The Rich Also Cry. These became a household staple until this day. And, and those names might have nothing to do with the names in English or, or original Spanish or something. But this is how they were printed on on our newspapers at the time. The dedicated time for them, by the way, right now, on the Latvian national television stations, is from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., where they've been shown forever since I can remember. And when talking about the terrible name translation at the time, The Bold and the Beautiful, 
the giant among soap operas. My, my grandmother used to watch it all the time. She gave up at one point, though. Now, that was translated here as Hameleon Ruotales, or Games of Chameleons. Yes. And as the series went on for so long, the name stuck. Even though we became so much better, so much better in English. So, this year passed. We had acquired some freedoms. But nobody expected that we'd get our independence in just two years of time in the future. Like I said in the beginning, everyone thought it would take a lot more time and everyone was still worried. But the feelings of independence were there and after the first taste of freedom, we wanted even more. And those feelings, they just couldn't be taken away. And now, welcome back Alice with the info segment, after which we'll return together with our friend from the Dark Myths Collective, Travis J. Doe, from the History of Germany and Bohemikon podcasts, with our discussion about the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Hungarian picnic, and the year 1989 in all the Soviet satellite countries. As Travis has lived in East Germany and in Czechoslovakia, I thought he was the right person to turn to when talking about the situation in the satellite countries. So, welcome Alice, and be right back. Hi, this is Alice. It's nice to be back on the show. Thank you for sending all of your support and asking where I've been. I've had some school stuff to do, and I've been very busy, but my hands are itching to get back. Anyhow, this is what we want to tell you. Happy birthday, Eastern Border listeners! That's right, we're one year old! Well, to be exact, we'll be one year old on the 25th of June. And on that day, you'll get a special gift episode focused on a strange Russia-related conspiracy that just turned out more plausible than we thought. What started out as a fun little thing that we wanted to do for you on our anniversary turned out really, really interesting. So await that. Secondly, we're ready to present to you a new project, which will be running in addition to the Eastern Border. People's Democratic Republic of Podcast will be launched in early July and will be a monthly podcast. But the episodes are going to be longer, much longer. It will be a podcast that uses Christoph's academical knowledge, comparing the parliaments of various countries, looking at the history and the impact of political parties, looking at elections and their results throughout history, and discussing whatever are the current issues there. This is going to be done in conversations with people who have ties to these countries, and our first episode has already been recorded. It's almost four hours long, and is an in-depth look at the political scene of Israel, starting from the very beginning in 1948. Voting for sanity, making sense, embracing controversy, trying to do some political science mixed with quality journalism and history. It should be fun. It shall be found on the site pdrp.lv. So feel free to follow that one, and we'll put that up in Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher in no time. Additionally, our Dark Myths Collective group podcast is also coming out soon. As the group's journalist, it is up to Christops to interview our various members to introduce listeners to our various shows, to our hosts, and a bit of more meta about what podcasting is, how it works, and talking about the most amazing podcasting collective out there. That and funny stories of people's favorite beer. That also shall come out in early July and will be found on our group's site, darkmyths.org. And, of course, everywhere you get your podcasts from. Finally, as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters and people who donate to us in PayPal. 
Your support is very appreciated and is extremely helpful. And if you're our supporter but haven't received your ebook and your Cold War movie commentary tracks, please let us know and we'll fix the situation immediately. And due to our one-year anniversary, another draw of Soviet souvenirs is coming, larger than the last time, which means that more people will get something very Soviet and very special. If you haven't supported us yet, well, go to patreon.com slash theeasternborder or go to our site, theeasternborder.lv, and donate to us through our PayPal. That helps us run the show, and seeing that podcasting is Kristaps' only job right now, I'm keeping Chris chained to the podcasting chair and microphone so he won't escape. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter, at Eastern underscore Border. Oh, and please, if you like this show, please fill the listener survey on our homepage or leave us a review on iTunes. So, after this long info, prepare for more about how the Eastern Bloc fell. It was absolutely necessary to talk about Czechoslovakia, Hungary, East Germany, and Berlin Wall. So, of course, we contacted the person who's most qualified to talk about this part of the bloc and interviewed him. But my time is up now, so I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Good day, listeners. So, greetings, comrades, once again. We're back to the show, and I have been speaking about the Baltic countries so far. But 1989 saw a bunch of revolutions and interesting stuff happening in the Eastern Bloc. And I'm not an expert on these issues. So I found out that I know a guy who is. And welcome Travis John Doe from Podcasting Network, who does the History of Germany and Bohemian Podcast, and many others to name, which I've been mentioning on the show. And he'll help me sort this thing out with Czech Republic and Germany and other Eastern Bloc countries. Hi, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. No problems. So, nice to have you, and let's start with 1989. What do you have with me? I know that the Berlin Wall crumbled in November as as a decision for the German government, East German government, to kind of open the borders, which was kind of designed to be opened only on some points of the borders, not the whole border, but people misunderstood that, and many, many, many weird things happened. Can yeah. you please talk about that? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, th- I mean, I guess, so you've talked about events leading up to it to some degree, right? Like Not in Germany, sadly. Okay, okay, so you, in you Germany, so it was kind of this domino effect, and maybe, so if you haven't done that yet, let me... Let me say a couple of things really fast. Like it was kind of a domino effect of um, Czechoslovakia was very um, like fighting all this, this uh, what's Glasnost and and Gorbachev's, you know, trying to let everybody self self reign. Perestroika, yeah. Um, Czechoslovakia was very conservative at this time. Conservative, I mean communist at this time, and didn't like this. Um, yeah, and this was one of the issues because the parties in the separate countries didn't always agree with the right. main party in Moscow. Yeah, and so they were Warsaw just Pact, there were political challenges. Yeah, Warsaw Pact was looser than you might think because it was not Soviet Union. So Latvia, uh, you know, was just Soviet Union and just had a much more direct connection to Moscow. And Czech Republic, they, they uh, you know... They could be independent. East Germany could be somewhat independent, especially under Gorbachev. More and more, they find themselves independent for good and bad. So, and um, and then Hungary is the other key player that you need to know about before you actually talk about Germany. They became very liberal in the eighties, and Hungary. Yes, 
Because they had been the Minsho before, but they were terribly, yeah. dreadfully impressed. Okay, so here's something. Maybe you mentioned something on your show before. I don't know. But all these countries went through a... Um, you can think about a conservative and liberal pendulum. And... Um, from from you know from from the 30s in the Soviet Union's case, but but in in 49 for Czechoslovakia, from the yes. 50s, let's say the 50s, the, the national the national communists. That's how we call them here. They were also in Latvia yeah. for a bit. So yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, okay. So that yeah, um, and and then up until 89, there was just this pendulum swinging back and forth between censorship, like freedom of press to some degree. That happened in the Soviet Union at you know some point, and there was like reports of UFOs, and then they shut it down. Down again and and uh, like all this fun stuff happened like the Prague Spring uh, in sixty eight oh, which, which I know? which I talked about yeah, you did an episode on that the episode yeah we, we did an episode on that on Bohemian two um, so that like it became very liberal and people well then, then, then people can listen to both of us and compare yeah I, yeah, yeah definitely I mean, listen to both shows don't yeah um, and then um, the, you know the, then the Soviets orchestrated a, a, a an invasion from all sides like Hungary and everything and after this Czechoslovakia became very um, conservative, very staunch communist. But Hungary was becoming liberal in the 80s. They were listening to Gorbachev. They were testing Gorbachev. They were testing Moscow and trying to get away with more and more. And finally, they basically opened the border. They kind of made an announcement that you could uh, you could vacation in Austria. Was ba- you know, it was um, uh, Reise Erlaubnis, uh, you know, travel. You had the permission to travel. And yeah, I mean, I've, been, I've been mentioning I've been mentioning this book, by the way, by Gorbachev himself, called "The, the Perestroika: The New Way of Thought." Okay, and he's yeah. and he's mentioned Hungary a few times, saying that you know the, the, this is the example that we need to set. This is uh, our own socialist ideals together with uh, open mindedness and everything. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, what is it? Uh, communism with a face, socialism with a face, or something? Really, socialism with human face. Yeah, yeah, really interesting philosophies of it. Like, I, I assume these are separate episodes for you, so I didn't want to go into like too much background. But what no, you no, you, you can know. do that. Well, I mean, I this mean, is the second part of the show, and uh, lately, my listeners have noticed that the first part of the show is more about concrete data and books and sources and everything that I've got from the sources, and the second part is. Yeah. More or less people's stories and, well, and so it, yeah, you, you I mean, have it does one. it definitely comes back to East Germany. So it does circle around the socialism with a face, the movement from within the party. So keep in mind that all these movements happened within the party, even Prague Spring. It was like one liberal, you know, someone in the Communist Party gave people freedom and then other other communists shut it down. So it's all within this one party system. Um, but one thing that happened was uh this socialism with a face east germans tried to be friendly tried to be more uh, you know listen to the people that that failed they failed but hungary basically opened the borders and german east germans could travel to hungary they they basically it was hard to get not everybody was allowed to travel but you could travel to hungary which meant if you could travel to hungary you could now travel to austria which meant you could now travel to, to anywhere in the world you wanted. If you could get to Vienna, if you could get to Austria, you could go to West Germany. You were free. And um, and I know that there were the Muslim, those, these massive, massive lines forming up just to yeah. do this. So. You can because go previously, see that on YouTube. You can go, I, I think I maybe I saw a lot of it was in German, but, but you can go see these documentaries and, and there's like just people even walking on foot. People like getting their passports, getting the stamp in it that says they can, the, the, the travel paper permission. It's like vacation permission. Yeah, because uh, I, I think it was go. the same. 
I think it was the yeah. same in all in all Eastern Bloc countries because over here in the USSR, you had to go to the KGB. You have to, you had to get your yeah, report on, on the own background check. You know, it was like you if you had a criminal. And record, they asked you, your you neighbors and everything, and your boss and about yeah, everything. it could be and you had to report yeah, on this. Could be yes, and um, um, and this wasn't even good to go to the West. This was to take a vacation in freaking Budapest in a different socialist country, or even to go to Latvia. You know, or to go to Moscow itself. You had to can I go to Moscow? <laughs> you know, and and. Uh, and then, the, the, to the hard, west it was worse because to the west it was worse because they wouldn't allow yeah. people who are like that's different the official explanation what? was that well we can't ashamed we can't ashamed our socialist okay. countries we can only send the best out which is bullshit but. yeah you know musicians and journalists and athletes and whatever but okay but here's the loophole because now you could so people people would go they would get on a train in berlin or dresden or leipzig or chemnitz chemnitz was a karl marx or whatever and they'd get on a train and go to prague and from Prague to Budapest and even if they had to walk they would walk you know they would get on a train to the border and then walk the rest of the way across now into Austria and Austria Austria Hungary um, this is another interesting event that happened is 89 or 88 Austria Hungary had a first joint event like internationally and it was just a picnic and it was really like people were like what like this must be a trap and not that many most people were suspicious the Hungarians and the and the Germans that even came, um, but people showed up to this picnic that was in Austria. Because they, 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 they were just a little bit of explanation here. Uh, yeah, it wasn't just there, only in the USSR. It was everywhere there was in the Soviet so, yeah, bloc. Well, like, there was secret police there. Like, what, there was every, wait a minute. Is, is, is this police? a trap? Are they yeah. just going to arrest all of us? And people, people didn't go. Uh, so and people a... also at the beginning didn't believe that, you know, this openness would last. So there's like, ho- yes. it was like holy crap, I can, go, ve- I can go to the free we, world. I better yeah. run or you I'll get arrested. You talked about the Velvet Revolution also? In, what? In the Velvet Revolution. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucian in Prague, did you know? Not yet. Yeah, I haven't. So you can do that. I, I'm not Bohemian, a tech expert. You can, you can hear that. We did that. And that's also like, I know when I was a teacher in Prague, I had students that I was like, so did you go? And they were like, no, I had a wife and kids. Like, there's no way I went down to Wenceslav Square. Like, you know, I was like a hundred thousand people were there. And he's like, yeah, not me. Cause I was scared. I thought, you know, they were watching, they were writing down lists and I'm like, oh my God. Um, but anyways, okay. That's a, a different story. Um, so, but anyways, people went to this picnic in Austria, these Hungarians, and then I'm going to call you back up and get back up again, man. (laughs) Haven't gotten to that point. So, um, um, but yeah, you can talk about that that revolution as no, well. Yeah, that's yeah. Call me up when you want to discuss that too, because that's oh, that's a great story. It's a great story. I love the story of the Velvet Revolution. Um, it's it, like it's also been romanticized, but but for good reason. Like it's just amazing what happened. Um, well, but, over here we had people like holding hands from Vilnius to Tallinn. Oh yeah, 
much and that, that the feeling of like we're free and uh, for the first time in so long yeah um but so all these hungarians at this picnic in austria they just kind of like started to like wander away into the woods like hey the secret police is not doing anything no one's saying anything and then they just wandered off and you know like the funny thing is if you look at the iron curtain you know the separation between east and west poland and germany east germany yeah. you know east germany and west germany um czechoslovakia and germany and austria um vienna the capital a major western power capital let's say you know at least in terms of like espionage and, and international diplomacy vienna was massively important because it was so far east and it was right across the river practically it's like 30 kilometers away from bratislava which is you know right there in the in czechoslovakia now it's the, it's capital the slovak of, capital yeah now it's the slovak capital and, and it, uh, no it doesn't it doesn't look anything like you see you saw on euro trip all yeah. of Euro trip oh, was beautiful. filmed in Prague, I, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was all in Prague. I, yeah, I love Bratislava. Um, I love Slovak Slovakia, anyways. Um, but but yeah, it's right across the river. It's so close. So it's it's interesting. So that that basically just broke down. There was this loophole. Okay, so now socialism with a face, like you said. Um, we, <laughs> so the events leading up to it was. The the details are this, like if you actually want to talk about the day the wall fell, the, the exact things is that on, um, was it like November 9th or something? So a couple of days before there was a, there was a parliamentary discussion. And if you look at the whole discussion, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, taken into context. They're like, okay, we have to do something. We need to, uh, maybe we will lift, we will lift the barricade. It was like one proposal of many and it might be shut down, but it was like, we will lift the barricade. Um, yeah, like in the future, we will start talks of lifting the barricade and, and, um, easing border tensions and allowing border migrations or something. Okay. And when the news, um, channel reported on this, uh, uh, the next day or a couple hours later, they just took a, a snippet out of context that said the borders, you know, we will start talks to lift the borders or lift, you know, the checkpoint security or whatever. And people were like, what, when, how much? And this was just like just a proposal, theoretically, <laughs> the, but people didn't the question know this. How, the question how much is important here because the first thing is like, okay, Yona, I have two pairs of jeans in my closet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try yeah, them all. Like, what do we, yeah, what can we, yeah. And uh, like, seriously, like, is this now? Is this next year? What? But now the reporter reading this announcement, someone, the report he read said basically, you know, November 9th at 6 p.m. Like, just he just said that and it, it might have been a mistake they might have they did a or like a redaction or correction right away but it was just like doesn't matter it was just it was broadcasted and everyone just went you know everybody in east berlin um but also westerners so the ard um this is the uh, German, West German TV. Now it's just German, you know, German channel. Um, but the IAD reported that, hey, they're opening their borders and something's happened. The, the East Germans just, re just reported this crazy thing on the news. And so West Germans, West Berliners were going to the checkpoints. And, you know, but it, nothing in comparison to the East Berliners who were on all sides of West Berlin. You know, East Berlin and East Germany surrounds West Berlin. So you're just talking like hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands of peoples 
going to the checkpoints. Now, I think I think it's really greatly depicted in the movie Goodbye Lennon. Have you yeah. seen that one? Oh, I love it's, that. It's a great I've seen movie. It a dozen times. I love that movie. I love that movie. I want to echo that recommendation. Like, I want to make it a recommendation. If you haven't seen Goodbye Lennon, go watch that. This in German, you might maybe it's dubbed or maybe you can you know it's with subtitles. It's, it's in it's in Russian. Avail- it's available also <laughs> in Russian and Latin and all the. I think country, it might be English, English even dubbed. Yeah, but there are, watch there the are subtitles. Like, because it's, it's great. It's it's, it's one great. of the greatest movies to um, understand the field of times. Yeah, I think. I think so. When people are like, what was it like? I'm like, well, watch that and then ask me questions. You know, that's the baseline. Like, go watch Goodbye Lennon so you kind of get a feel. Um, but yeah, so then, so basically, I had, so yeah, so now it's basically, um, no, the, the funny thing is, or the interesting thing is, is that the, now this all escalated instantly. The, the government took note and action, but way too little, way too late. They didn't know what to do. They didn't, they were underestimating how many people were showing up. So the army was mobilized or the National Guard or whatever was mobilized, you know, troops were mobilized, people with guns were at the borders, but then, um, you know, they could have shot, but basically the border guards knew nothing. They just knew nothing. And just people were coming and and just hundreds and thousands and just yelling. And finally, they just, you know, someone said, stand aside, let this through. Like, this is going to be an international catastrophe if, you know, just like, there's nothing we can do. Stand aside. Because you couldn't really shoot people back then. No, at this point. Which which is really tragic. It happened in Vilnius uh, two years later, which I'm going to mention on my show, but that's on a few bases. It happened before, also, which is nobody And and nobody knew whether or not they would shoot. There were tanks looking at each other in Kennedy's day, days in the early 60s. I mean, there were tanks looking at each other. This was, you know, almost worse than the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like, this was just like, this, this was the point when we were going to go to war with Russia. Like, it was, che- you know, Checkpoint Charlie right there between East and West Berlin. Like, you know, that has seen so much history. And, and again, like, we have thousands of people standing there and the guards could have shot. You know, that wouldn't have been the first time. And, and they said they're just like, no. And they just opened the borders and it's done. There's no undoing it. Um, the government tries to, you know, back away. You know, in the following days, you just see hundreds of thousands. So I lived in Germany at this time. I was very young. I was like seven years old. Um, but my dad got just hyper excited one day and he picked us up from school. And this was in uh, February of 1990, you know, and he just pulls up in his uh, in his BMW, clearly a Western German car. And he's like, we're going to Berlin, you know, and and we jump in the car and we just drive. And we and at that point, it was still East Germany. And, um, uh, you know, we we get to the Berlin Wall and he buys for like five Deutschmarks. He buys us some hammers and chisel chisels. And me, I'm seven and my brother's like five. And we're sitting there like hammering away at the Berlin Wall. And me and my brother, like, we don't even know why. It's just my, my dad's like, this thing's evil. Take it down. You know, here you go, kids. Have fun. And my, my parents are both American, you know, but we were like, we were raised in Germany. Um, and so, you know, that's my story of like, I, like I was there kind of like not the day it fell, but we went there shortly after. And I would say, yeah, you could totally tell. So there were already holes in the wall. One side was full of graffiti. And, and you know, that was the West German side. Um, you could you could walk up to it and it was graffitied and, and painted. The other side was just gray. The East German side, because if you got close to it, you'd get shot or arrested or whatever. Um, there were dogs, you know, there were explosives between the walls. It was, well, you know. Well, the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union was the only only country in the world as uh, at the time, like the most important country in the world, where the border guards were there to prevent anyone from getting out. Yeah. 
just and on a massive like technological like and, and they know, had dogs scale. and artil they had the border guard artillery yeah pointed at their own landmines yeah landmines and then if you look at oh. the walls themselves so it's two walls the wall is two walls it's a it's a row of two walls and the top has like a piping along it so you cannot get a grip you it's really hard to so it's round on the top is basically so you know you can't it's just really hard to climb and then it's just crazy and then tunnels were dangerous because they were underground ground traps and uh, they were always building on it and it's just oh it was just yeah so there was a no man's land in between a dead man's zone and imagine uh, imagine what kind of a socialist paradise it was if you had to put such an effort in it from from just making people run away yeah so i'm gonna eventually on you know do the history of the berlin wall itself and then also the fall in much more detail because you know the evolution of the wall like the day where it was built was catastrophic. Yeah, because they basically slowly, cut the houses in two. Yeah, the, so first of all, it lasted for 40 years. That needs to be said. It was like a whole generation that had to see the Berlin Wall, that had to see their city in two pieces. And uh, when it was built, it just it wasn't even clear that it would be forever. They thought it was like, what, is this for, you know, until they straighten things out? Is this for a couple of weeks? You know, when are they going to take down the barbed wire? And then they replaced the barbed wire with bricks, and they're like, wait a minute. You know, this is going to be this is going to be here for a while. And it just like slowly dawned on the, you know, Berliners, like how shitty this was. Um, But yeah, so now it was all it was all over. When I was there, we went to both sides of, you know, we walked over to West Berlin. We walked over to East Berlin. And and uh, I mean, in my mind, I that is the differences of the two is seared in my brain. The Trabants and the um what the Skodas and Wolfsburgs and Ladas on one side and the VWs and Audis and BMWs on, and Mercedes on the other side, you know, all, like just, it's just, uh, I still remember that. And I, I mean, I think part of that adventure, my, my dad being so excited as a, you know, as an American, but not a, he wasn't a very patriotic guy. Like we didn't celebrate, you know, do a big hoopla for 4th of July or whatever. We lived in Germany. Like we were just, you know, quiet expats, but this, he was just really, he just got really excited along with the Germans too, obviously. And, um, I remember suddenly in, I lived in Munich, which is miles away and, you know, safe in West Germany. And I, I remember suddenly overnight, you'd see all these Trabants, anybody that could, that had a Trabant would just drive it to West Germany and try to get a VW, drive back. People walked. People literally walked for hundreds of kilometers to get to West Germany when they opened the board. I mean, it was just, you know, IID. Again, German television. Thank German you for news. using the like correct propaganda. metric system, by the way. Sorry? Thank you for using the correct and nice metric system, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, hundreds of miles, I meant to Hundreds of leagues. Hundreds <laughs> hundreds of Routenfuss. Thousands of uh, hectares. Um, you know, people walked for hundreds of, like, yeah, like, but imagine walking for hundreds of kilometers for a second. Imagine that. It took days. People were camping on the roads, you know, sleeping outside to walk hundreds of kilometers, because that's not an exaggeration. I'm, I'm serious. To walk from, uh, even to walk from Berlin or from the Baltic, you know, all the way from the Baltic to West Berlin. And people did this uh, when that when this happened. It, they, it took them two weeks to walk on foot because they didn't have a, have a Trabant. Just imagine how long it, it took to walk, you know, what it was because people didn't, you know, you know, like people in the East didn't always have a car. You know, it wasn't easy to get a car. So people just walked. Um, and, and yeah, but I remember like just suddenly all these Trabants, uh, just suddenly, just just overnight, hundreds of Trabants, Trabants everywhere. And then they kind of disappeared over the years. But for years, you just suddenly you just, just see Trabants. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there was part, interesting things that. about how Trabant and how 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 did Trabant end? Because uh, some people, like some very rich and you know what, the nomenclature, the higher up people over here, also had Trabants. Because you know what, yeah, you can yeah. either have a Zigul or a Volga. Well, oh my God, you you got an Eastern German Trabant. So this is kind of it's funny because maybe maybe because I lived through this at a very young age. And I, I, I saw the East as I remember, I mean, so, you know, then I moved to America for high school, basically, and, and a couple of years before that, but but uh, for high school, really. And I remember, you know, in 96, and but we'd never really traveled to the East. We'd traveled all over Europe. I'd been to like 20 countries from Portugal to Scotland and, you know, all over the place. But the East was a blank white spot on the map. Never even been to Prague, never been to Dresden, never been to um, places just outside of Berlin, you know. Um, and, and, and I think part of that, when I moved back to America, I was like, what part of that was just like, oh, I'm, I, I'm, you know, what is on the other side of the wall? What is on the other side of the iron curtain? And that's why I think, you know, after college, I moved to Prague for 10 years. I mean, I just, I love it over there. I still love it over there. And I, I'm back in California now, but I miss, I miss the Czech Republic. And it's just, it's just fantastic. And, and, and this is why Travis is, uh, one of the few Americans out there who, who does understand the eastern border quite well? I yeah, think. yeah. I mean, I love what you're doing. Oh, I totally, I love the stories. It's just, and and to me, it's kind of like, I, I was wondering, like, what did I miss? And I saw Prague change from, the first time I was there was in 2000. And I also, you know, I remember I've seen Berlin change tremendously. Uh, East Berlin changed like crazy. Um, but even Prague changed over 10 years. And I've seen pictures from before and just heard, heard hundreds of stories, mostly over beer or, you know, teaching English or learning check or you know um yeah the, the thing i mean the dam really burst the the difference is so you know trabants all those brands just like in goodbye lenin actually that's that's very well well documented in goodbye lenin the the movie um all the brands basically disappear overnight everything from car brands to honey brands to you name it pickles um, pickles were important you know computer companies obviously there was even an east german computer company r- r- Robot, Robotnik, Robotron, Robotron. I don't know. I'm gonna do but an episode on it. It's but it's but, awesome. but to the but to those guys familiar with uh, Polybius Ultra Legend, no, it wasn't Zinneschlossen, because literally, if you call something Zinneschlossen, then that just means sense erase or mind erase. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. astonishing, astonishing legends were doing a show on this and there was this guy claiming that he comes from a Czech company called Zinnschlossen. And uh-huh. then I'm like, yeah. "What? What it's you like, guys? I speak like German." A thing. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a role-playing game with vampires. Um, oh, I love those. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was a I was I, I helped I helped a consultant once. I probably shouldn't mention this. I don't know. I just I signed a non disclosure agreement, but I helped someone get the lay of the land of Prague once in a famous game that's out there published on on such things on a on a game in that world where vampires exists. But this game was different. But uh, yeah, anyways, um, oh, uh, like my office building where I used I to am, where I used I to work. My office building is out. in that game now. <laughs> <laughs> I am not cutting this out. <laughs> I'm serious. So, so my office complex, I mentioned it like, like, yeah, what's this and that? And I was like, oh, her headquarters could be this. This is all steel and glass, what you're talking, you know, and that's where I used to work. So yeah, anyways, um, steel but yeah, and glass, was it, was that a high rise building? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Oh, then I love that game. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So there are demons in that game. I think I can say that without getting that, in trouble. That's that's a video game, right? 
Uh, I, there might also be a video game, but I'm talking about like a tabletop, or is that what it's oh, called? Yeah. Like a tabletop role-playing game? It's a tabletop. Yeah. yeah, I know what you're talking so about. So there might also be and a video I've, game I've out of it. Like, it's a pretty big company. That's why I'm being careful. But anyway, like, I, I don't know. know. They, I, they probably I, don't care. Whatever. That, that company just got acquired by Paradox, so your disclosure agreement probably oh, I doesn't I don't even account. Know. Yeah, I don't know. That, that was also a couple of years ago, so I'm probably good. Like, it's not anything that's in development. <laughs> it was, it's was. it been published. I read it. Like I was like, oh, hey, that's where I work. Yeah, anyways. Yeah. Anyways. anyways. Um, carrying on with, with, with the so feels. What the of hell time. was I saying? Yeah, I was just saying I love that stuff. Like I love the like all those brands were gone in East Germany. Now Czechoslovakia, probably I don't know about Latvia. See, that's interesting to me too. Is that the government changed? Those communists in Czechoslovakia are still there, or were there for years? And in East Germany, it's just the East, the West German parties came in, and yeah, there's you know some politicians switched to like SPD or whatever. Um, but but most of the politicians were just out of a job instantly and the west germans came in and had more votes for this or that party um the sad was just disbanded in czechoslovakia the communist party still exists um i was in moldova while the communist party was in power in 2005 you know they're a democratic party now they're a democratically elected party the moldovan the moldovan people because there's many russians there i should say um, they were part of the soviet union um, not like Romania. There's also it's mostly Romanians, but but they voted the Communist po- Party into power in 2005. And 2005 at the train station, I saw brand new hammers and sickles. Like I was like, what the hell is this? Like this is like I, even in Riga, I don't think you know you'd see brand new hammers and sickles. It's, like, it's illegal. No, it's no, illegal no, no, no. to do this oh, here really? in public events. Yeah. yeah, hammer hammer and sickle has the same status huh. as swastika. Swastika, man. yeah. I think it's not illegal. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing here. Um, but I think it's still... Yeah, See, you could do that. I don't know. In Latvia, by government, so the, the equalize the Nazi cherries. crimes, it's the common crimes. So it's the same thing, really. Yeah, okay. It, well, yeah, I mean, the Communist Party morphed into other parties. There's other parties. Uh, Czech Republic, if you're voting for other politicians, you could be voting for, you know, former communists or whatever. Same in Latvia, cause, but, and that's yeah, one of the problems yeah. I want to mention in the show, because you know a lot of people just grab uh, the good stuff from the Soviet Union. Like, a lot of people just think that, oh, my God, the cool do-it-yourself spirit and the ability to just pull through. Yeah, that's kind of okay if your government is oppressive and you're fighting against the government. But a lot of people who just went into politics in the early 90s were those kind yeah. of folks, which you wouldn't elect these days in democratic societies because, um, because you know, those guys learn their trade by essentially yeah. stealing from the country and being corrupt. Well, yeah. Okay? So, the, the, so, the, so the, the thing flip... is, they're not, they, they haven't adapted. They have just used their dirty tricks. How was they it in Latvia? The After the fall, was there, did the opposition party come? Did there, was there a new opposition party, basically? Yes, there they yeah. were, but they kind of lost in the very next election. And they oh, never been... see, Czech Republic, so... they were holding strong and they split off. You know, it was like Václav Havel and the Charty 77. Yeah, and yeah, but, or, but in, Latvia, it was Lat- in Latvia, it was Latvia's Stouts Front. Yeah, uh, Stat- the same in Estonia. Stat- Fronta is Czech Republic. It's exactly the same name. Stat- yeah, Stat- Stat- Fronta or whatever. Stat- yeah. But uh, but really, they just lost lost power instantly because uh, right. they okay. yeah. after getting our independence. And there are a lot of theories about you know there are still words about this fact that Latvia hasn't opened their KGB informants uh, account, and there's a lot That'll of happen. information. That'll happen. Yeah, but there's a lot of confirmation that the yeah. official reason is that we don't want to cause mass riots right now. But the official reason is that maybe there are a lot of politicians there on the list which wouldn't oh. be allowed to be elected. Germans and, and the Czechs have been doing it slowly. There, there was a shock when the first wave happened. 
but like not everything has been revealed or it's just it was so much to sift through and then there was a feeling of like okay let let it lie like just let's move on now okay but yeah but over here the idea is is in court where someone's like no before the communists took power that was my house that was my grandfather's house and i want it back now that's complicated if if you know what i mean i know that that has happened Uh, here as well yeah um, so, cause like in Poland, you can't just be like, well, the communists t- took power. This should be mine. It's like, well, but if you go back five years before that, it was probably some Prussians house. So, and you, that does not hold up in court. EU decided, nope, you can't go back to Poland and say that was my grandpa's house. Give it back. If you're, if you're German, you cannot do that. Um, you cannot do that. Like, nope, sorry. In Latvia, so, that's the big issue because so, uh, but there's a blurry a lot line. Of, a lot- because you so can't do that in many the, cases. There is there is a thing, and in Latvia there's a special case like where in East Germany you could actually actually the Jewish community has been in court with uh, our our government for a long while. Oh yeah, because a lot of because a because a lot of these houses have been um, before nationalization. Yeah. The Jew, the Jewish community owned a lot of banks, yeah. and there were issues so because Prague, of because of yeah. the war. People couldn't repay their money, so the banks confiscated them. Right. And then comes the question: If your ancestor oh, owned the bank, yeah. do you owe? If, if your ancestor owned the bank, uh, does that mean that you personally yeah. own this building now? See, in and it's Prague, kind of I think they had to pay issues. some money in the end, but but like Jews have a special status, which I thought was just interesting. Yeah, I don't know how to same you know here. I don't know. But how to in say but in Latvia, we basically solve this in the way that you know one corporation, like uh, because back then we didn't have such laws as we have now. But essentially, if your if your dad owned a bank and that bank owned something, that does not mean that your dad owned that something. It's just that that organization right. owned that something, and we can't solve Correct. that. That of it, course, all, it, it all, all, all the properties to the Jews it and might everything. Happen. It might happen. So that has happened. Like some, uh, several, there's a lot of Jews back in the Jewish quarter. Um, And sometimes they just came back and bought their house back or bought some property there. Uh, But sometimes they went to court and got it back. So it just depends. And sometimes they went to court and lost. So yeah, there's many, many cases like that open. Also in Germany, uh, Germany, of course, like, oh my goodness, they have it on a, so Germany has it on a country level with all other countries in Europe. And then also like specific cases here or there. Um, so Germany is like comp. There's many layers of uh, reconstitution, re- you know, repayment, re this and that um, for for Jews across Europe and and not no longer in Europe and Israel. And yeah, it's like well, it gets complicated really quick. That's a whole nother podcast, by the way. I don't know how we got on that topic, but yeah, that's that's a whole different thing. The the re- the, the the repayment after communists left, it's complicated. The thing is that over here, over here, it happened like, and this is one of the major issues about of you saying the the things uh, happening overnight. Over here, we're kind of uh, a lot of people are sad because after the Soviet Union fell, we lost our two sugar factories and yeah. vet everything got privatized too quickly, probably. Right, and there was a like, lot of yeah. one privatized too quickly. Secondly, and oh which is really God. important thing. Imagine this, the privatization agencies yeah. run by the very same people who learned how to steal the government and cheat in the Soviet Union. Yeah. So in the early 90s, very famous criminals that were able to do like investor fraud. So one way they privatized in Czech Republic, this might be familiar to you. I don't know how it was in Latvia, but um, one way they did is they, they gave everybody a 1000 crown bon and they said, take these bonnie and 
They're worth yeah, a thousand yeah. crowns. But these are the certificate, the certificates of this. Yeah, yeah and, same and thing. And what they are, well, and you can buy aktia, you can buy um, uh, stocks in these new privatized, or not even privatized, but companies. You can buy stocks in um, not the post or the or the train, maybe, but um, breweries that the government ran. You can yeah, buy stocks in Pilsner. Companies. You can buy stocks in Ch- in Budweiser. You know, Chesky Chesky Budweiser, Budvar, whatever. Um, uh, for instance, and you could buy stocks in um, shoe factories and the factories, those companies that. And then okay, they were but shoe factories. Your last episode was great, man. Yeah, but but yeah, Batya, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we have Batya here, man. A couple of people came around and said, "Hey, sell me your bunny for a thousand crowns, or give them to me, lend them to me, and I will invest them for for you." And I I will give you 2000 crowns and they invested um, them and made you know a hundred thousand crowns made millions of crowns and then gave everybody back their 2000 crowns you know same thing here with lats exactly yeah, or the they same just took thing. the money and just they're in the bahamas they're in some country without an extradition treaty uh because now czech republic is part of the eu as of for a while 2004 you know it's been a same while here well, the, right, you right. guys you guys joined the same date we did so now so now those criminals had to sell all their mansions in the bahamas and move further away because uh you know that there's extradition treaties between you know now that they're eu but yeah they're still around and some of them died so because and exactly this ago, scheme but, yeah. was how a lot of our politicians got their wealth and influence here because yeah those see imagine this our first democratic politicians where, where the guys who are the criminals great shows out of those like the actual the actual corruption that happened in individual companies and in, like individual people you know like i mean so i i taught uh, when i was teaching english i taught communists because i taught uh, managers that wanted to learn english now but if they were managers in the power company for instance then you bet that if they, they were managers before the fall they just took over because hey you need power so they just they privatized it they privatized it but it's still they had the same managers running the company so they were former communist members because to be a manager you had to be a communist party member you know so and i taught these guys and i was like huh and he's like oh yeah of course i had a skoda of course i had a car of course i had a house and i was like it wasn't so bad coca-cola yeah i got some i had a hi-fi i had a tv and i was like yeah yeah you were a com you were a fucking pinko oh sorry can i say yeah 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 like uh you know you know like okay you're a student you pay good money but oh i was like oh i'm teaching a communist english and he did well nothing happened to him I mean, yeah, he didn't do any. I mean, these, he didn't do anything those, bad in the party. He wasn't those a were he was yeah, just but a those manager those, because you know, just because those people were the guys who, uh, for the most part, used to be KGB informants and were really stealing from the country, having the connections and doing all he these had the things. Connections. Be, he had the connections. Yeah, like so he kept every those connections. He, 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 I mean, he these, never lost them. Like. Yeah, exactly. Which is, by the way, another political point. Which is when you remember that Putin, like all, like even old communists used to say, once a communist, always a communist. And the fact that Putin was a KGB colonel means yeah, that dude, be he careful does with, have careful with those kind of statements. Like careful, oh, careful. No, no, no. I mean, dude, I've I've received so many death threats. I don't okay, care. Yeah, about but you know, point. you know that I don't personally believe that. I, I should say that. Like not. So I understand. Um, that oh, you wait this... my next show because I I will I will look at the conspiracy theory that Putin's oh, actually man. Met. Well, okay, no, that's that's all another story. That guy w- wishes the good old times of the Soviet Union could come back and the KGB. I mean, of course he does. Putin is Putin. Now, that's a whole different issue. Um, but I wouldn't say like once a communist, always a like there there, there were there were, so the many, said. there were so many benefits to being a communist party member 
in all those countries, even no. in Latvia, that it was just kind of like, hey, I need to provide for my family. I want to give my son an education. The best way to do that is just sign up and be a party member. Just go to the party rally meetings and just lip service well, just it do was, it it and was different in latvia in latvia and yeah, here in well, soviet even union in latvia dude even, because trust because, me, because there were, even there were hundreds know, of thousands of latvians that were not true deep communists because no i know this for a fact because the communist party how many members did they how many members did the communist party officially have in 1988 and how many members did they officially have in 1995 a fraction of it. A fraction. Yeah, I know. I rest but the my thing case. is, I'm not saying I'm not saying that all of them are they like that. Just that in Latvia, they were all Latvia, real communists. They just did it because they. Yeah, obviously. They but the thing to, is, because it was the easy road. It I'm just thinking road. about Latvia. And, and just shame the on them for that. You know, I'm sure. not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying it was. It was like the things that, that a lot of people in power were those guys in the communist party who right. actively tried to improve their situation and did terrible things. You know, that's that's my the point. Corrupt fuckers were corrupt fuckers before and corrupt fuckers after. That doesn't matter what party they're in. That yeah, and that's the, and yeah. that's the biggest problem of uh, our yeah. our day politics right now because we just keep electing those corrupt oh, fuckers. In Riga, in Riga, you can go to the grocery store and you can see people that used to be in parliament during communist times. You don't yeah. know. You, you could see people that used to be in the secret police. Maybe someone that used to torture somebody. They, they're just there. There's no security. There's, they're not in jail. They're just there. It's the same in Prague. And it's the yeah. same in Dresden and in Moscow for sure. Moscow, geez, they're not even hiding. I mean, yeah. But yeah. I mean, oh, wow. Yeah, well, that tangled a bit. But I, I guess we got a good insight on 1989. Thank you for being on the show, Travis. So this is goodbye from the eastern border and from uh, Podcasting Network, of which I am also kind of a part of. If, yeah, you're <laughs> you're, you're a member. You're it's, you're part of the machine. You're a cog in the cog in the machine. Oh, what's what's new about that, comrade? <laughs> comrade, welcome to Podcastnik. Podcastnik. It's like Sputnik, but it does something. Exactly. It's like yep. It, we just beep. Actually, now nah, we just beep. That's all we do. Uh, yeah, podcastnick.com. You can find all my shows. Otherwise, like History of Germany. Um, History of Germany, I just yesterday recorded uh, episode four of the Saxon miniseries about Otto the Great. And the next episode's like the end of the world. You, I, I want you to write something for that too, by the way. Um, the year 1000 AD, right before that, it was the Y1K problem. People thought they were going to die. People thought it was the apocalypse and the world was going to end. So that's and like that, by the way, episode. influenced that influenced all the way of how the people in the that, Middle Ages wrote history. Yeah, it, literally, I mean, it had influence. Like it kind of caused the Crusades. Like you could make the argument that it had an impact on the Crusades that happened. You know, in the next like that that century after that happened. Um, it's just yeah, it's just crazy. All these pilgrimages and all this all this crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, anyways, yeah, that's that's coming up. Uh, also, Bohemian, which has you know, there's. Uh, if you if you get if you want more of Eastern Europe and that and that kind of stuff, we talk about we go way back to like it's a lot of medieval history and he and, he does um, the check he does the check part of it and it's great yeah because I I'm I'm doing I'm basically doing Baltics and the Soviet Union but Travis yeah, is so you're Soviet our satellite Union country we're Warsaw guy. Pact we're Warsaw Pact that's that's the difference you're like you can you can still tell when you've crossed the border between so former so, uh, Warsaw Pact and former Soviet Union. Like holy hell! It's like but, oh, but we're, we're, oh, but we're the Eastern Bloc, Eastern Bloc brothers. You know? Yeah, but Eastern Bloc—that's for sure. We're we're uh, cousins. 
Um, so yeah, and then and then oh my goodness, yeah, we got more stuff coming. Um, there's the secret cabinet, which is a lot of fun. It's the the naughty bits of history and um, history of alchemy. It's about like history of science, which yeah, I, I love that. History of science is is like my favorite probably topic. Um, but anyways, yeah, come come find us on Podcastnik. Come find me at on Twitter at Podcastnik or or whatever at Germany Podcast and and uh, yeah, come stop by and and Kristaps is there too. Like Kristaps has been on my shows, so you can hear more of Kristaps on my shows. He's been a Bohemian. Uh, he'll be on history of uh, history of Germany. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, and hey, thanks for having me on the show. It's been a blast. This, this obviously, is, this this topic, dark this, this topic is near and dear to my heart. So, yeah, I love to talk about it. I will talk about it again in future on my show. Well, you, so. well, you see, uh, you see this, is, this is the thing. I try to get personal stories. And if I can get the personal story from a person who speaks in English, then it's all the better. So, this was our episode about the year 1989 and the massive changes that happened in the Eastern Bloc at the time. Like Alice mentioned, our official anniversary episode will be about a peculiar and interesting and strangely plausible Russian conspiracy theory. I hope that you'll enjoy that. Now, I offered the material to Astonishing Legends podcast first, by the way, as they do this kind of stuff, but my friend Scott called me crazy and told me that he didn't want to get death threats or worse, get killed. But he gave me his full approval of doing that myself. As you know, death threats have become another part of the daily routine for us. It's a very touchy thing, and it's going to be amazing. And don't forget to check out Dark Myths Featured Podcast, Blurry Photos, and watch for the PDRP and Dark Myths Podcast, especially PDRP, or People's Democratic Republic of Podcast. As, even though the first episode has some sound quality problems, because my guest there, Erez Bitten, was recording through a built-in laptop microphone through Skype, the content on that show is simply amazing. We spend almost four hours going through the Israeli politics and what's going on, starting from the very beginning to the very end, looking at everything and the history, and it will really make sure that you understand what's going on there in the future. In, in that podcast, I'm going to be looking at Germany, I'm going to be looking at Iran and Sweden and comparing that to the United States, and I will take a look at Democratic Party and the Republican Party and everything. That's going to be a show about comparative politics, and I think that you will love it. I think that you people might love this, as I'm really putting my academical effort in there. Don't worry, Eastern Border is still staying here, because I love this show, and this is my love child, and it's going to be great for all of us. Now, again, thank you for your support and criticism. We take that criticism seriously and we look at every everything you send us and we try to implement what you, we try to fix and implement your ideas and we try to fix what you say that we're doing wrong. Thank you and good night and good luck. До свидания, товарищ. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhos in the great motherland. 
the eastern border salutes you. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.